Hello and welcome to the Power Dialogue. This is a monthly show that shines a spotlight on the continent's outliers, leaders and pioneers through relatable expert opinion and commentary from the continent's leading voices. I am your host, Zedi Bariti. Happy International Women's Day, Nora, and thank you for coming to the Power Dialogue. Thank you so much for hosting me and happy International Women's Day to you Thank too. Thank you to you too. You're actually the first woman I thought about looking at the theme for this year, which is innovation and technology for gender equality, because you're one of the few women that I know that are really disrupting the tech space in Kenya. Congratulations. Thank and you. And <laughs> Let's get right into it. Please tell us who's Nora and what are some of your proudest moments in life? Well, um, I don't know, honestly, how to respond to that, <laughs> uh, how to box myself and ex- describe it. But then I like referring to myself as a passionate woman, mm-hmm. as an innovator, as a mother, as a Kenyan, as an Africa who truly wants to see transformation within the continent, mm-hmm. but also a tech innovator who wants to defy this space, not just for me, but also for other women who are coming. What are some of the proudest moments in your life? I know you have won the top engineering prize by Royal Academy. That gave you 3.6 million. Yes. You also won the Cisco Global Problem Solver Challenge, 119 million. I hope you carried some for us <laughs> and some many more. There's so many awards and which is really good. Congratulations. But are this uh, some of your proudest moments in life or what exactly are those moments for you? Well, winning these awards, especially if I look back at where I started with the work that I do and also the hopelessness to eventually figuring out that I can actually make, create an impact in the technology space in Kenya, mm-hmm. um, obviously gave me very many proud moments of winning numerous awards for all this, both locally and globally. But honestly, Zedi, my proudest moment is when my father told me that he's very proud of me mm-hmm. because it proved that everything that I've done mm-hmm. is not really futile. Uh, he sees it, and uh, I made him proud, so I became proud of myself. Oh, that's so sweet. That is girl. Uh, among the things you do, Drop Access is front and center of most of this. Please tell us, what is Drop Access and what is it all about? What's the problem that this Drop Access company is solving? All right. So if I just... Uh, take a look back Mm -hmm. at the origin of Drop Access. We started as an NGO organization uh, to be able to supply clean energy solutions that were affordable and accessible for anyone who needed them in Kenya or within the African continent. Then uh, we slowly shifted from the the non-profit uh, environment to the limited company. So we have the Drop Access NGO that still does the clean energy works. Then we also have the Drop Access Limited that is now entrepreneurial and is a limited company that does a lot of works that entails actually doing energy as a business within the Kenyan space. We earlier spoke about the separation between the limited company and the NGO, and it came up that's best practice. Why, for the entrepreneurs who are listening in, why is that best practice? So uh, when you look at the NGO framework and the kind of um, the business being done or other work that is done in the NGO framework, most of the time there's a possibility it might not be sustainable. So like for us, we are focused on donor funding to be able to provide uh, uh, subsidies, energy Uh, clean cooking solutions, lighting solutions, solar pumps for farmers. But then we look at the future of where we want it to be, we realize we had to make money flow through the chain. And making money flow through the chain meant that we now had to 
think of entrepreneurial ways of trading within the energy industry. So we uh, transitioned one of the products that we had at the Drop Access NGO, and that is cooling, or rather locally manufacturing cold storage solution. We transitioned it into a limited company of its own, and it created, now, now it became the Drop Access Limited that manufactures affordable cooling solutions for the whole Kenyan environment and also focusing to, uh, to serve the African ecosystem. But the way we look at it is uh, the work that we do should generate revenue to create uh, economic activities within the African continent, to create micro-economies even for the people that we're serving, but also to be able to employ more people without necessarily depending on donor funding. Awesome. Uh, looking at Drop Access, I came across a, a lot of elements of innovation, of fintech. What is a problem that you aimed to solve with the creation of Drop Access in the initial phase? So Drop Access Limited is fully focused on getting clean cooling solutions within Kenya and the African con continent to make them uh, locally owned. Uh, to the point of we know these technologies as Africans. Our technicians understand clean cooling technologies that are being locally manufactured, but then also we are able to create manufacturing ecosystems that not only just serve us as an organization, but also is able to create more jobs, is able, able to improve the economy for manufacturing in Kenya and also influence policy. So Drop Access Limited is focused on providing affordable, locally manufactured clean tech that are able to serve uh, the Kenyan ecosystem, serve all other countries within the African continent, but mm -hmm. also beyond the Africa, just to promote that trade mm -hmm. so that Kenya does not really become a consumer country as well as the other countries, but also we can be producer countries that make quality products, mm -hmm. quality technologies that can be used anywhere in the world. Have you guys started exporting to any other country apart from Kenya? Well, you're referring uh, to our product Vaxibox. Yes. Unfortunately, we haven't really started exporting. Mm -hmm. uh, but the interesting bit is so many of the orders that we have for Vaxibox solution that is locally made here in Kenya is actually coming from outside Kenya. Because, uh, well, there's so many reasons. Kenya is quite ahead when it comes to energy access, um, building better healthcare systems, manufacturing these solutions, which are lagging behind in other countries. So other countries do not have the luxury that we have as Kenya of having so many products in the, in, in, in the market. So that's why you find like there's so many orders coming in from West Africa, from South Africa, uh, and also from the arid and semi-arid parts of the continent. But we haven't really started exporting. There's so many things to be considered when it comes to exporting. First of all, we have to adhere to the quality standards. Like for Vaxibox itself, it has to adhere to the WHO PQS qualification or certification which means it actually ascertains that it is, uh, it's going to perform for the years to come. It is safe for use. It's not going to electrocute someone. It's not going to destroy vaccines. But also, it's a quality product that we can brag about and actually fairly sell to anybody who needs the product. But then also for us internally as a company, we have to set up the manufacturing structures to conquer the Kenyan market sufficiently, yes. but then also to allow us to do business with other countries sustainably. Mm -hmm. Great. Taking you back just a bit with Drop Access, I came about this nexus of water, energy, and food. How exactly is your company working around those three elements? So the water, energy, and food nexus is, most, is a focus for the NGO environment. And um, we decided to look at providing energy uh, as a nexus more than just a solution that is paid for, then we walk away. Because we realized the people we're dealing with were rural communities, were farmers, 
the the solution is just not solved. Like they they lack energy, they lack electricity, they lack energy, but they also lack water. They also lack proper uh, productivity measures to improve their practices. So we thought if you're going to contribute to the energy ecosystem, then you must go over and beyond. So the solar pumping solutions that we provided to these farmers was to ensure also that they're able to access water affordably throughout and sustainably, but also preserve the water points. So we look at uh, scenarios of where we don't overdraw from the existing water points, and we're able to replenish the aquifers in all the sustainable practice, practices that they must implement. But then also we look at um, the food systems uh, that they are engaged in. If they're going to do farming, then it had to be productive. It had to contribute positively. It had to give them more economic benefit. But then also this farming should not degrade the environment further. So our, uh, our engagement in the energy ecosystem, especially within the Nexus framework, is to protect the whole entity from degrading. Because when you look at it at the end of the day, we can provide so many solar pumps, a million solar pumps to people. Then what is the end life of it? Who is going to recycle these solar panels? Who's going to recycle these pumps? Are they going to be landfill? It will mean that the work that you did contributed to environmental degradation. Mm -hmm. So we have to think of how do we sustainably also include circular economy as you provide these solar pumping solutions. And are they also sustainable solutions or other quality solutions that comply to the environmental standards? Then also, as we're doing pumping, are we degrading the environment more by overdrinking the water sources? And also, if we are drawing this water from, this, from the water points, is it productive enough? Do we really, to, do, do we really need to draw 20,000 liters of water in a day to plant maize, well, we can actually use 5,000 liters to plant maize. Now you look at those kind of scenarios so that we protect the environment as a whole and also for the future. So does that mean that uh, drop access has an element of capacity building on these three elements? Yes, we do. Ah, great. <laughs> Let's come to Vaxibox, which we touched on briefly. What exactly is Vaxibox to someone like me who has heard about it, but I really don't understand? Simply put, what is Vaxibox? Vaxibox is a clean tech and a health tech solution. So in the simplest form, it is a solar-powered healthcare refrigerator that is locally made in Kenya uh, and has been built to ensure that no matter where anybody is, they're able to keep their heat-sensitive medical items like vaccines in the right temperature because it's a fridge, but then also it also uh, it widens the geographical reach because Vaxibox is a portable fridge. So it's a portable solar-powered healthcare refrigerator. We make it locally here in Kenya to counter the gaps of importing equipment and they'll be so expensive and they're hard to reach. And also when they break down, it's hard to repair them. Mm -hmm. But then also we've made it portable so that you can use this fridge in situ at the healthcare facility where you need it, but then also if you need to go collect vaccines at the nearest location, take your vaccine box, put it on your motorbike, go collect vaccines and come back. Interesting. So do you mean that this is only used by the healthcare workers or who exactly can use Vaxibox and can anywhere, anyone acquire it or is it just a piece of for some people? Anybody can use Vaxibox. Um, anybody who need a healthcare service that needs cold storage, uh, that's the nurses, or rather the healthcare workers who need to issue vaccines or even store these vaccines, use Vaxibox. can also be used in the veterinary sector. Somebody who needs to store um, vaccines for poultry or for cows or even store semen for insemination can use Vaxibox. Somebody who needs insulin at home can use Vaxibox. And the, tr uh, the, the beauty about the fridge is 
at the end of the day, it's a refrigerator. So you can also convert it for use by any, for anything that needs cold storage in your home, at the facility, while you're in transit and transporting maybe blood for transfusion, you can still use Vaxibox. And anybody who needs Vaxibox can access Vaxibox. How does the charging system work for the solar-powered fridge? How exactly does that work? So um, Vaxibox is actually run, it's a, vap it's a vapor compression fridge. Mm -hmm. So rather it's a DC refrigerator uh, that is charged with a solar panel that charges battery that draws from the, and the compressor actually draws from the battery backup to power the compression system mm -hmm. that now provides the cooling capacity within the refrigerator. Then the refrigerator has um, insulation all around it to ensure that even as the compressor is running, it's able to maintain the temperatures. And you see like for vaccines, you have to maintain it between positive two and positive eight degrees. So the insulation ensure that Throughout the day, it does not go beyond positive, below positive two degrees, but also beyond positive eight degrees. Okay. In which areas of this country uh, is Vaxibox being used and the recharge period, how long does it take to the next recharge? So we've been able to pilot and test out Vaxibox in Makweni County, Kajedo County, officially this, uh, this first quarter in Kitui County. Uh, we've had successful pilots, obviously, in the arid and semi-arid areas. And we intentionally do this just to test out mostly the charging capability of the refrigerator. So we always uh, uh, talk of Vaxiworks being able to maintain 15-plus uh, hours of battery backup. During the day when the sun is up, the fridge is going to run because there the, is the solar resource and there is a solar there is a solar panel. During the night when uh, the sun goes down, there is no solar resource. The battery is able to maintain up to 15 hours, and even we're building it to maintain more hours of uh, of keeping the items cold. Because sometimes you wake up and it's a gloomy day, and you have like six hours of gloomy of gloom. So we have to ensure that even during that gloomy period, the battery is still going to kick in and keep the vaccines cold. So you find uh, when the sun comes out in the morning by around 10, let's say if the sun came out at 8, 10, 11, the battery is fully charged. So uh, it's able to, the, the compressor is able to draw from the battery, but also keeps on recharging the battery. By evening, the battery is normally 100% charged, just to ensure that it's able to stay throughout till morning to sustain the cold. Awesome. From your introduction, you're also an entrepreneur. Yes. I'd like you to share with us what made you switch, because I know at some point you're in active employment. Yeah. What necessitated the switch from employment to you being self-employed or an entrepreneur? Right. Um, <laughs> I only say that um, I am an engineer who turned an entrepreneur. I love engineering. I felt like I studied all my life to be an engineer. Mm -hmm. I anticipated even ever since I was a young girl to be an engineer. Then uh, as life will have it, not all of us are actually fit to work in the engineering field. And to me, I learned that the hard way because when I completed my BSc, Mechanical Engineering for Business in Nairobi, there's a time I was actually jobless. So I used to hope from one internship to the other, which is pretty cool because I gained lots of skill in different environments. But then I came to realize that it wasn't really sustainable. Even if I got a job, it wasn't going to give me the satisfaction of having to practice uh, hardware engineering, like uh, building technology. There isn't so much leeway in building technology in Kenya. And even the time when I completed school in 2014, there wasn't so much um, opportunities to build tech. It was mostly go work as a repair technician or a repair engineer uh, in this uh, environment. 
and that's not what I wanted. So you wanted to innovate. Yes, in I wanted to build stuff. <laughs> I wanted to build stuff that made a difference. Yes. I wanted to build stuff that mattered. I wanted to defy the, the, the narrative that we as Africans, we depend on technology that comes into the country. Mostly knowing that it's it's one big world. Yeah. If it's being done in Germany, it should be done in Africa. Mm -hmm. Why aren't we doing it? And engineering should be the same around yeah. the globe. So I started slowly building tech. Vaxibox is not one of the only, the first tech I built. I've built others before. One of them actually was a water purifier that I built while in um, undergraduate. And it just made me realize there's so many challenges in our communities and we're always shipping in solutions for them. Then we find ourselves trying to fit into the solution. Sometimes it doesn't really work. And I saw that in the energy sector yeah. where there's like a landfill of lamps that have been dumped because yeah. they failed. <laughs> like, come on. Like, how hard is it to build a lamp? Okay, it's not that easy. But still, it made me just have the passion of, let's tinker. Let's find out how do we build a solar fridge that lasts? How do we build water purifier that lasts? And I slowly found myself thinking more of an in innovator, but then uh, these innovations have to go somewhere. So we I had to learn how to sell them. I had to learn how to raise money for them. And then I found myself now thinking more of, a, of, a, of a, an entrepreneur because in, to complete the whole chain and create impact, I had to sell these technologies. I had to gather a team that can make these technologies and sell them. So I slowly switched from employment that didn't really give me the satisfaction or rather the opportunity to build and tinker with tech to now entrepreneur who builds her own tech or gets people to build tech together or tinker and find out how does this work? How can we make it better? And slowly now into, into entrepreneurship once you build this tech because they made sense and there was actually use cases for them in the, in the society. Yeah. Yep. One person that I really remember clearly who's very passionate, just like you, about having homegrown solutions for Africa is Moses from Basigo. Oh. He spoke about it so passionately the last time he was here. And I came across this uh, quote from you. I just read it. <laughs> it is time for Africa to invest in development of its own technologies as a way of accelerating industrialization within the continent and as a strategy to provide meaningful, meaningful employment for its youthful generation. That's very powerful. Yes. And I see you two are very in sync with, with each other. So I've gotten what made you made the switch, make the switch from employment to entrepreneurship is actually the, the passion to innovate. Yeah. So uh, what can you say drives you as a person, Nora? So many things drive me. Um, the statistics of Africa and Kenya, oh, these are the number of jobless youths. This is the energy gaps and energy challenges. Those things drive me of, uh, from the perception of why aren't other countries abroad having this kind of statistic? What is so fundamentally wrong with Africans? And it, I see so many young Africans doing amazing, amazing work, brilliant people, like why isn't the ecosystem working? Then I slowly come to realize it's the policies that govern manufacturing. For a very long time, uh, Africa has been believed to not to invest in deep technology. And, I, and I'm wondering, why can't we invest in deep technology? It is the time to invest in deep technology. Deep technology creates industries. Industries take all these youths that are complaining, do not have jobs. Then we lift them out of these uh, the scenarios of poverty yeah. and we build economies. Like I feel like that's, that's really the sure way of changing the poverty narrative for Africa build the manufacturing environment, build industries, employ more people, revolutionize how education is being done. I always look at um, Vaxbox development as obviously something that we didn't do it alone, even at the Drop Access team. It took a whole village, not just in Africa, from, but also abroad. So many expertise had to come in together to 
to share the knowledge and expertise on how to build an appropriate refrigerator. And it made me realize it's one world. We can easily share our WhatsApp message from here till India or China. Why can't we share knowledge on building these technologies? <laughs> Why can't we get into deep technologies? Like what is, what is stopping us? Yeah. So what drives me is to see Africa actually be plays in the same ground as the global tech giants. I think we have an opportunity to do that. And it would be so amazing if in my lifetime, we actually get to get to the point where we are trading globally. We are trading tech with the, with the giants, you know? important and meaningful technologies coming from Africa so that we're not really considered as the consumer continent, but also a producer continent that is creating more value and slowly changing the narratives of poverty or unemployment or education system that really don't work. Yeah. Let's make it work. Yeah. Awesome. Food for thought on that. <laughs> Apart from the policies that you've touched on, what else do you think can be done either by the government or the players in the tech field to encourage more homegrown solutions for Africa as far as tech is concerned and other problems that are facing the continent? This. Well, first, fund homegrown solutions. Don't, okay, fine. It's great to fund those that are already taken off. Fund pilots, fund research fund uh, young people who are tinkering with technologies because you never really know what they're going to come up with. The scenario that I'm trying to refer here is when we started developing Vaxibox as, um, as a, a, solar, a portable solar refrigerator, we realized that this fridge uh, had to have a, an IoT solution to collect the data. Uh, because if it was going deep in Makweni or Kitui, we need to know where it was, what temperature it was operating at, what stock was inside. So now we try to think of developing the IoT solution, developing AI models if possible, why not? And I came to realize that so many young people uh, were tinkering with IoT and they're giving us, oh, try this, try that and all that. And I really got impressed because we started developing a fridge, but now we are playing in the IoT field. And it just made me wonder, how, about, like, how could it be that one simple solution can create so many other solutions that are coming up from just one, uh, one, one line of thought. And that is happening all over the place. So all those young people who give us ideas about the IoT solution, they need to be funded to iterate different kinds of IoT solutions from all different kinds of fields, whether in the energy, in the healthcare, in the food systems, mm -hmm. so that we have so many solutions and we try them out rigorously and bring them to maturity so that they, they run their own ventures. And then we get to have so much within the African content, the African continent that is creating impact all over, whether it's the food sector, whether it's impacting poverty or impacting women. Hence, these solutions need to be funded aggressively from even the young stage. They need to be piloted. They need to be tested or they need to be accelerated. And beyond funding them, they need to be validated within the African continent. It's our governments need to just uh, decide that we're going to try the homegrown solutions because if they're not validated or tested, they'll never get to maturity. True. See, like for Vaxibox, if we didn't get the chance to try out Vaxibox pilot within uh, Makweni County government, maybe nobody will have li listened to us, but see, the government gave us a chance. And now we are growing further, even seeking the WHO pre-qualification. Mm -hmm. like, like, that's a big deal because we, we get to be the first African design and manufacturing refrigerator that is going for the WHO certification because the government gave us a chance. They put their foot down and say, hey, we want, we want these young people <laughs> who are building this metal box in McQueney. We want their box. We want to store vaccines there. That works great. And that is what needs to be done to all these ideas that are coming up with young people. Funded, iterated, tested, and validated in the market. So it's actually funding that yes. is the missing link here. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Talking about the youth, what advice can you give to 
uh, upcoming entrepreneurs? What do they need to know? Because sometimes you think it's just the you get to be self-employed. What really does it take to be a successful entrepreneur? Well, you have to be crazy and wild <laughs> in a way to get into this space, but it's not really that hard. So um, first of all, there's so many challenges in our communities. They should view these challenges as opportunities to start their own businesses and their own uh, lines of thoughts and their own uh, works to be able to f- fit them out. Then from there, then they get to grow into viable ventures. It's not really that easy peasy. So there has to be patient along the way. Young people, we like quick fixes. We want it to happen now, quick now, now. Quick gratification. Exactly. Right now. <laughs> it doesn't happen. You can't get instant gratification. Actually, mm. delayed gratification mm. is much better from what I've seen. So they need to be patient in the game because um, you have to wait a bit and test out your solution or your idea and iterate it a few times before even uh, it's meaningfully um, recognized or even appropriately funded. And sometimes maybe the missing link is just the time that you needed to stay in the game, get a bit more data, and the idea actually takes off. So they have to also stay patient in the game. They 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 should not expect way too much from an early stage idea. So success doesn't happen overnight. It takes a bit of time. Overnight success actually does take a bit, a long time. It does. Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. So they have to be patient in the game and they have yeah. to be bold enough to mm. chase their dreams. The world not necessarily giving us uh, opportunities to be bold. We find that even when we want to chase our dreams at home, our parents said no. My dad said no to me running my own enterprise. He was like, I don't get this. You train as an engineer, why are you running an organization? So he was for you being an engineer, oh, yes, but yeah. not being an entrepreneur. Yes, yeah. He did understand the entrepreneurial because yeah. we've been caged in a box of you need to study, you need to do what you studied in school. Yeah. But then the future of work, things are changing. Mm-hmm. You're not guaranteed of a job and... There's so much information out there. You can be anything. Career is never really linear. So they have to try out different thoughts. They have to pivot themselves and their mindsets. They also have to be bold to adapt to the future of work that is coming up, but also give it time. Patiently give it time because success is not overnight. (laughs) You seem to have really simmered through their voices, (laughs) which brings me to to my next question about mentorship. Mentorship is very important and most of the time we are fixated about mentorship and forget that we can also get reverse mentorship. Yes. I'd like to know who are some of the people that you look up to or who have really held your hand and shown you that uh, uh, what is it? Instant gratification is not the way to go. Who are these mentors of yours? Reverse mentors and mentors. Who are they? Please mention some of them. Well, um, when I got into this tech space and also the energy space way back in 2017, thereabout, there were key women in the industry who, mm-hmm. that I really look up to who are running their own businesses. I remember Charity Wanjiku, my friend, she was running Strauss Energy and building solar tiles. And I look at her like, oh my God, you're trying <laughs> to compete with Elon Musk. I found that so bold. And it, I admired it. I admired that kind of energy and the speed that she had. And she automatically became my mentor. Even till day, she's my mentor. And the reason why I have li- I've aligned myself with so many women mentors is because they understand the ecosystem and the landscape. So the likes of Charito and Jiko, we have one boy of Vilgro who believe that as a woman, you have to be limitless in this game. But then beyond that, I also have I've had so many male mentors in my life in the tech space 
who irrespective of my gender just tell me, Nora, you can do this or stop that and pivot that. So I've, I've had the opportunities to get professional mentors working in the energy industries uh, and also as well as mentors working in the healthcare space. I've even had mentors who are doctors who just tell me, hey, this is my problem within the healthcare space as a doctor. And I feel like you can actually do it because you're, you have the energy and the mindset to do it. And I've been very open-minded and ha having a very teachable spirit, something we discussed earlier on, mm -hmm. to learn as much as I can and also to unlearn my old habits. I knew I would get out of school and work for General Motors, <laughs> EABL. That didn't really happen, really. <laughs> so I had to unlearn yeah. that spirit of, um, I'm not really going to work for General Motors mm -hmm. as much as I wanted to, but I can actually work for my own organization or I can work for somebody else. And that came with so many mentors in this space teaching me to be open-minded, to think, outside the box. I don't even think outside the box. Literally burn the yeah. box. Throw it away. Burn the box Kavisa. and throw it away, yes. <laughs> yeah. And also to be fearless in yes. my pursuit mm -hmm. of what I wanted mm -hmm. because nobody's going to hand you free cookies, really. Uh, nobody's going to make you coffee throughout. So you have to fearlessly learn how to probably grow your own coffee and brew it yourself. And so that if you really want that satisfaction to last for so long and also to be meaningful. Yeah. So I've drawn mentors, mentorship from female mentors in this space, from all kinds of space, from the finance space. I mean, there's a time I met um, uh, um, a lady who works in the fintech space and I really admired how... Uh, there were so many men in that fintech space, but she was just going for it. And, and I admired how she'd carried herself with so much courage and boldness and belief, yeah. even if her company wasn't doing so well. And right, she's raised such a lot of money <laughs> within the fintech space, and it's impressive. And I look yeah. at them and like, and I think it's possible. It doesn't have to be in engineering, but it's possible if we just persistently keep to it. And they mentor me. They, they mentor me to be patient. They mentor me to be bold. Borderline crazy, <laughs> but in a good Very way. Very important. Yes, it's yeah. true, but in a good way. Yes. Because also the world has a lot of challenges. Yes. Yeah. One of the phenomenal, phenomenal women that you were discussing just before this is Rebecca Miano. And one thing I like about her is her, she has this mantra that leadership knows no gender. Sorry, like when you say you met someone who was in a male-dominated space, which energy is, and it's really commendable what you're doing. And I believe it's also very important for the young people, younger people, to know that this uh, misconceptions that we have in our head when you're in school, you want to go work for General Motors, it rarely works out like that. So yeah. it's very important that we be mentors as well. Because that hopelessness that you spoke about yeah. at first really creeps in at some point. Yeah. And you really need to, to have someone hold you and keep you going yeah. along the way, which is very important as well. And uh, in the spirit of International Women's Day, I know there's this one thing that we as women really struggle with, imposter syndrome. And oh, yeah. other issues that come into play when you're working in a male-dominated field, you feel like you're not good enough. Yeah. What are some of those bad habits, habits for lack of better words, that you had to overcome to be where you are today as a woman in this space? Wow, I could talk a whole day about imposter syndrome, <laughs> <laughs> give scenarios. Yeah. One thing I've come to learn about imposter syndrome is it's a necessary factor to build you to who you are. So if you don't have imposter syndrome, I even good at what you do. <laughs> So it's a necessity, it's according a necessity. to you. <laughs> it is a necessity. Like you have to overcome it and learn like, oh, wait, yeah. I was just scared, but I can actually do this. And uh, when I 
I've, I've had so many challenges with imposter syndrome at different places. When I was starting, when I was starting the NGO, when I spin to a limited company, I was like, oh my God, I'm just abandoning the nonprofit and now I'm going for money. I had that imposter syndrome, like, what did the world think of me? Like, I'm being greedy or, or I'm being different. Yeah. Then I survived that. Then I went to, oh my God, I'm in the tech space. There are not so many women who are doing this. Then I'm building a fridge. We're going for WHO. What is wrong with us? <laughs> like, it comes over and over again at different points, at different levels, but it's always there. Uh, and um, the thing about imposter syndrome, it can really be heightened with comparison. If you look at your environment, there's so much happening. You know, like our environment, there's so many people raising funds for their organizations. They're doing so well. They're making breakthrough. If you compare your journey to what is happening, then you'll forever be stuck in imposter syndrome of, this is not working. I'm not good enough. Um, this is actually not a brilliant idea. And you're like, what am I doing? If you compare yourself to the journey of others, people have different kind of journeys. So I, I really, 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 really had to learn not to compare myself mm -hmm. with my peers. And it really worked a number on me because I didn't really get a job immediately when I left school. And a good number of my friends really got a job <laughs> working for really prominent <laughs> companies. Then here I am trying to run a company. These guys are doing so well. My mm -hmm. company is not doing so well. I'm like, why didn't I, why did I just go for... The, for the mainstream employment, yeah. I could be like them. I compared myself to them and uh, it kept me from progressing drop access for a very long time. Then I had to make the relations and say, hey, there is no turning back. Mm -hmm. No one is offering me a job in those companies. So this is the last chance that I have to actually make something meaningful of, of myself as an engineer. And slowly I started, stop, I started uh, to stop comparing myself to my peers in the industry who are doing so well. And also doing so well, it became really relative to me and just put all my energy on focusing on building drop access. And it comes in, it can come in that way or it can come in, we are displaying Vaxibox against world-renowned refrigerators. I'm like, oh my God, ours is made of stainless steel. I can see a world over there. But theirs is seamless. That's still an imposter syndrome because then you go and feel like, what are we doing? This is not going to make enough. it within yeah. the African continent. Yeah. No Kenyan is going to accept a still, a still fridge. They're like fiber fridges and all that. Mm. That's still an imposter syndrome. But then I always look at it like, what is our why? Why are we building this fridge? And why did we get to the point where we're showcasing on the same platform? There's a time I pitched with um, a globally renowned refrigerator manufacturer. They have a very nice fridge. And after pitching, they pitched after me and I listened to the pitch. I was like, there is no way they'll ever pick them over us. And we actually won the pitch competition. Mm -hmm. This is a, this is a big tech solution already being used and adopted uh, in, in Asia. But then when I looked back at the reason why uh, we actually won this pitch competition, is I, started, I realized that it's not about the solution that we presented. It's the purpose. It's the vision that we built and also the guts that it took us to build this fridge with very limited resources, finance and also manufacturing resources, to, to the point where we're actually being recognized against this, mm -hmm. um, th this globally renowned uh, solution. And I, that journey is very important. It defies where we got to be and what we can do with it. And the way I look at imposter syndrome is, once you overcome that comparison or that fear and just give it a hint of a bit more courage and stay in the game, it fizzles. And you get your strength and you understand your purpose and your why yeah. and you grow out of it and you, you thrive. But then without forgetting that something else is going to come later yes, on. Yes, of course. Yes, it's, it's a loop. <laughs> it comes back. You just have to master how to, okay, fine, we'll overcome. Yeah, yeah. remember your why. Yes, yeah. yeah.
so many awards and so many accomplishments later. What's next for you? What's next for Drop Access? What, what are your dreams? Are there dreams you're still chasing? Yeah, the dreams I'm still chasing. When I started this, it was about building energy solutions, giving energy solutions that last, that made sense in the African ecosystem. But now I want to take the whole system, really. It's more than just energy. It's more than just refrigeration for us. It's why systems don't work in Africa that favor us providing our own tech solutions, why there are not so many women in this space. And yet I have really, I've really tried to actually scale, scale myself in this space and it actually works. When I look back, I, I think, how many more women should I bring along with me and teach them the tricks of how to scale this? So I have a big task to do mentorship for young people, for women, how to build ventures that last, how to build deep technology within the African continent. It's not going to take a day. It's going to take a lot of mentorship and education. It's going to take a lot of uh, influencing policies yeah. that allow women to actually thrive in this environment, but then also changing things at a systemic level. Um, if our, um, what is it called, tendering system does not really buy locally made refrigerators, how do you influence the tendering system? How do, we, how do I influence leadership to, to finally open up to, hey, we're going to buy locally made refrigerators and actually use them and validate them in the environment so that I'm not the only one benefiting from this because then we get to open a door for other locally made products to be sold within the, within the country. And we slowly transform the narratives for Africa and for Kenya, joblessness and poverty and just energy, so many things that happen wrong, like tackling that from a systemic level. level. And personally for me is living in gratitude because if I look back of where I started, uh, it was a very low point in my life. There was hopelessness, but then uh, I had so many help around. So I can't really sit and say, oh my God, I did Vaxibox on my own. That's a lie. A whole villager to come to build Vaxibox. My team, uh, the mentors from abroad, from locally, technical mentors, engineering mentors, and just realizing that um, I was privileged at that moment I should pass on the privilege to other people, to other women, and also never ever to forget that journey, but also to build it better to allow space for more women to come in. Awesome. I'm looking forward to signing up for the mentorship. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Your parting shots, Madam Nora. Oh my God, they're telling me to give parting shots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why is it? <laughs> Please, you have to part. <laughs> yes. I, um, well... <laughs> I could talk so much, obviously I talk a lot, but um, I always view myself as a work in progress. We are all work in progress, especially here in Africa, young people, women, building systems that last. We have to stay true to the game. Uh, we have to be bold enough to follow and chase these dreams, even if sometimes they sound and feel like pipe dreams. <laughs> Eventually there's always an opening, yes. but really I feel like if, if, we, if we do all this, if I do all this of chasing the dream, staying true, being honest, having gratitude, and there isn't really a moral leadership that supports me, then we have a problem. So my parting shot is to call all the players and the leaders in this industry to be moral, to be wise, to be supportive of the work that we do if we truly want to see Africa transition into a better continent. Yeah. Thank you. You really embody the power of innovation and the impact that it has on communities and our society. I look forward to seeing you and your team, the whole village, go forth and conquer new ground. Thank you so much for coming to the Power Dialogue. Oh, thank you for hosting me, Zedi. This was nice. <laughs>
Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we look forward to answering your questions and seeing your comments across social media. We are available as the Power Dialogue across all social media platforms. Feel free to leave a comment, to leave a like, to share, so that I see you on the next one. Thank you so much. Till the next one. My name is Zedibariti Kwaheri.